Well, good morning. Happy Easter, or uh, more accurately, maybe Happy Resurrection Day, as uh, we like to call it. Um, I saw a bunch of Happy Easter's going around on my text, and little bunnies all over the place. Uh, well, bunny didn't die for us. Um, God did, but good to have you here. If I didn't get a chance to say hi to you, uh, sorry about that. I was out in the lobby and trying to say hi. My name is Harold, and I'm the uh, campus pastor here. And uh, last Friday, or this past Friday, Good Friday, <clears throat> some of us from our campus went down to our Fremont campus and joined with others from our Tiffin campus uh, and celebrated Good Friday together. Uh, I think we had probably close to, I don't know, 35, 40 of our people down there, which was awesome. Um, I got into the, they also have a light meal, so I ran into the gym because they wanted me to pray for the meal. And so I walked in, I hear, Harold, hi, Harold. I was like, oh, man, all these people in they see me and then I realize it's our people. Um, it wasn't, you know, I'm like, you know, over 400 people in this gym. And I thought, oh, they know me. And it, oh no, it's just our people who are saying hi, which was great. I appreciated that. And good to have everybody there. We're, we're celebrating on Friday the fact that uh, Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for us to, to take God's wrath on himself for the sin uh, that we've committed. And it's the uh, it's the, one of the unique things about Christianity, <clears throat> because in Christianity, um, it's the only faith that believes that their religious leader, Jesus Christ, died for their sins, uh, died for our sins. And what makes it even more incredible is the fact that he is God. So the, the one who is to judge us for our sins, what scripture teaches us, was the one who died to remove that judgment. He's the only one who can do that. And it makes this gift that much more incredible because the one who's the judge was the one who was going to free us from that judgment. And, you know, when it comes to Buddha or Gandhi, or Joseph Smith, Muhammad, or any other religious leader you can think of, <clears throat> every one of them have died. They didn't die for their followers. They died just like we're all going to die because sin has permeated our world and it's permeated us and they paid the judgment that God had for their sin. See, no one escapes the reality of death. Just drive around this area. I don't know if it's just this area. I lived in several different places of the country. And uh, have you guys noticed how many cemeteries there are around here? Oh, I mean, what is the deal? I, again, I've lived in a lot of different East Coast, you know, to Colorado, and I don't think I've ever seen so many cemeteries, but it's kind of right in our face that we can't get away from the fact that <clears throat> we're going to die at one point in our lives. And so in those cemeteries, you know, we mark those, and some of our really big, elaborate um, I can't even think of it. I want to call them a coliseum, mausoleum, you know, or whatever. It's just this huge, big thing marking that somebody's laying in the ground here. And most of them are just a little plaque. And it's got the person's name and the dates of when they were born and when they died. And maybe a little bit of a, a saying. Uh, we had a graveside service for <clears throat> Stan's grandmother. And so Caleb and I were talking after the service. We were just standing talking. And the cemetery we were at, they had a lot, you know, a lot of old uh, headstones. Like 1700s and 1800s. So Caleb is 
is looking at them. You know, he's kind of going down the row, and he's, man, that one's like 1700. And look at this one, this is like 1800. And that's a long time ago, like 1920. That's a long The next one he was coming to, the person died in 1987. And I said, oh, stop, time out. He's like, what? You better not go to the next one and say 1987 is a long time ago. <clears throat> Well, why? I graduated high school in 1985, so not a long time ago. It's really not. Please. <laughs> Actually, it is a, a long time ago. But as I was kind of thinking about this, I, I just went up on Google, and I, I Googled some, um, some people's headstones, which I thought would be kind of funny uh, to look at. So like Roddy Dangerfield, people know him as a comedian. Um, there goes the neighborhood. So that's what he put on. His, these are actual ones. This is, you know. Uh, and then there's uh, next one, Merv Griffin. Now, some of you younger people have no idea who he is, but us older people, we do. Uh, Merv Griffin used to have a talk show. Uh, he also produced a bunch of game shows. And so his is, I will not be right back after this message. Uh, he ain't coming back. And then uh, Mel Blank, uh, Looney Tunes. That's all, folks, right? So he had that on his, which is pretty cool. Um, this is just an anonymous one. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I told you I was sick. So... Uh, Probably, hey, if we're talking with our family and friends and they're saying, hey, I'm not feeling well, we should kind of maybe keep this in mind. We may want to get him some help. Uh, now, this one's kind of sombering. Now I know something you don't. So everyone's wondering, hey, what happens to us when we die, right? Well, this person knows. Unfortunately, he can't come back and tell us. And then this last one here, here lies John Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. So... And you guys caught it right away. That's good. The, the 430 service yesterday, it was just like, I said it, and they're all like, nothing. And then all of a sudden, like, like they caught it. You know, it took a little while. I guess they had to turn the heat up or something on them, and they got it going. But, but using it as kind of a segue, so speaking of rising, uh, there is a grave that doesn't have anything over it because there's nobody in the grave. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. If it did have some sort of engraving, it would say he's not here for he's risen. In fact, the, the picture on the screen, yeah, the picture on the screen uh, is some believe this is at the actual tomb, so they've marked it, but this is the actual tomb where Jesus was buried. Uh, if not, it's certainly similar to one that he would have been buried in. And like those other grave sites, you know, we can, we can go to them and we can uh, remember the person who was there, who was there and... Um, and we could do that with this tomb. We could go to the tomb. And, but the difference is the people are in the ground. Jesus is alive. He's not in the tomb. And he didn't rise just to kind of show some incredible infinite power that he has. And hey, look at me. I can rise from the dead. He did it in order to secure for us salvation from our sin and then a spiritual, spiritual life that he wants to offer us. So his death took care of our sin. His resurrection gives us that spiritual life that we can have. And so we've been on a, in a series called Road to the Cross up to this point. We've been looking at what Jesus said back 2,000 years ago. And then why does it matter today? Well, the crucifixion happened Friday. Today is the resurrection. And so I want to talk uh, today about the road beyond the cross where, where Jesus talks about and tells us um, several things, but the thing that we're going to focus in on, he tells us something about this securing this salvation, to know for sure that uh, when we die, we can spend eternity with him uh, in heaven and not receive the, the judgment on ourselves, which would be eternity 
and hell. So if you turn to John chapter 20, verse 19, if you're using the Bible there in the seats, it's page 1085. And uh, I want to catch you up, though, before I read, starting in verse 19, I want to catch up on what's happened. So it's some points are there up on the screen. Um, that's for me because I'm old and sometimes I forget what I'm going to say. So if it helps for you, that's good too. Uh, but Mary Magdalene, she, she finds out when she gets to the tomb, she finds that the tomb is empty. And so she hightails it back and she tells the disciples, hey, the tomb is empty. So Peter and John, which is actually kind of a funny story if you want to read it, they, they race each other down to the tomb and Peter pushes John out of the way and gets into the tomb and finds out, yeah, sure enough, Jesus is not here. And so it says that they leave and they're marveling at it. And that word marveling in the Greek has, has this idea like they're wondering, they're uncertain, they're not quite. And so still, even Jesus Christ rises from the dead, they're still not quite sure what it all means and how they're, they're not connecting the dots. And so they go on home. Mary, she runs up. We're not sure if she was running with them or, or came a little bit later, but she goes back into the tomb. He's, of course, not there. And Jesus appears to her and says, hey, listen, you need to get back, tell the disciples, head on out to Galilee. That's the, the plan. I want to meet up with them. And then that night, which is what we're going to read, we find the disciples. John says the, the disciples, if you read the other Gospels, there's probably more than just now the 10 or 11 that are left. It's, it's probably more people who are followers of Christ in the room. But they're locked in the room. And they're locked in the room because they're afraid of the Jewish religious leaders. They just hung their leader on the cross. Now his body's gone. And they don't know if they're going to be coming after them or not. So they're kind of fearful. They locked themselves in. And here's what happened starting in verse 19. So, so when it was evening on that day, on resurrection day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, again, the Greek there means locked, where the disciples were. Oh, by the way, um, just want to notice my... Easter colors. Yeah, some people think I don't have a heart. You know, I'm, you know, right there. Easter, baby, right there. I was told that that's lavender. Notice how no guy said, yes, Harold, that's right. That's lavender. It's all the ladies. Yes, that's, that's lavender. So for those who are first-time attenders, um, those who are regular attenders will probably get sick of me telling, saying this, but obviously if you're reading the Bible, you're not seeing those words that I'm putting in there. I'm not real um, intelligent, and uh, so it takes me time to kind of read the Bible. So as I'm reading, I mark uh, like important words, or I ask questions, and I'll write it down in my the piece of paper that I'm working on. Yeah, I still use paper, and uh, you know, I'll mark it down, a question about it. And so it's helpful for me, so I thought, well, maybe it's helpful for other people. So I do this on a regular basis. I throw up the words. Usually they're in red or yellow, but it's Easter, so we did Lavender. Anyway, so where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, the question is, at least if you're reading this, how did he get in? The door is locked. It doesn't say Jesus knocked and they let him in. He appeared. So we get this understanding that Jesus Christ in what we call his glorified body, that, that he's able to, and if you read the Gospels, it's pretty incredible. He'll show up at a place and then be gone. They'll say he disappeared and he shows up someplace else. And so this is, which has interesting ramifications for down the road as we receive glorified bodies, but just kind of an interesting thing. So they freak out, I'm sure, when he just kind of boop, pops up in the room. So he says, peace be with you. And when he has said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. So he's a physical being. They can see him. It's not like they can put their hands through him. Uh, Luke 24 tells us that he actually ate some fish. So it's, it's kind of a, interesting situation. And then the disciples, 
uh, they rejoiced when they saw the Lord, when they realized, wow, it's, it's really him, flesh and blood. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So he's kind of giving me a little summary of what the great commission is going to be. When he gets together with him in Galilee, he says, hey, listen, you need to go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he kind of gives a little bit of a precursor to that. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so this, is, this isn't Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and they start preaching the gospel. But it's kind of this commissioning service maybe or this little uh, confidence thing for them. Hey, we got God, the Holy Spirit with us. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. So he's reminding them of something he had said previously on the road to um, Jerusalem to the cross, where he said, and what he's saying is that, you know, hey, you guys aren't going to say whether someone's saved or not, forgiven or not. Um, you're going to be able to say it based off what the Bible says. And again, I'm not going to get into the whole reason for that, but some people would say, oh, that means the disciples, they're the ones who say whether someone can get to heaven or not. No, he's talking to more than just the 12 disciples or 11 disciples. He's talking to a bunch of them, and he's, it means that based on what the Bible says, we can say whether someone's sins are forgiven or not. Moving on. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, which means twin, so he was a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples are saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see... Now, remember who this is. This is Thomas, right? So this is one of the original 12 disciples. And we know Judas, Judas is gone at this point, literally. Uh, he's hung himself. And so it's just the 11. And this time there may be just the 11 at this point. But this is a guy who's been with Jesus. This is a guy who's walked with Jesus for over three years. I mean, they hung out. You know, three years, 365 days a year. They were hanging out. And this is what he says. Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's saying, Phyllis, if I don't see him, I am not believing that he raised from the dead. All right. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors haven't been shut. Again, so now they're locked in. This is eight days later. So for eight days, they're like, man, you got to believe, Thomas. Thomas like, no, I'm not going to, if I don't see him, I'm not going to believe. So eight days go by and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas. And he says, hey, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. So the cool thing here, Jesus knew what he said eight days earlier. Well, how did he know that? Because he's God and he knows everything. So he knew that, but he doesn't rip on Thomas. He doesn't judge Thomas. He doesn't reject Thomas. He says, hey, listen, you got some doubts? Here, check it out. You said you wanted, here's what you're going to need in order to believe? Check it out. And so he does. He says, now believe. But then he says this, this is what we want to hit this morning. It says, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they, so all those who come after the disciples, including you and me, blessed are they who do not see and yet believed. So we want to look at what Jesus said. Again, he said a lot, but what he said here 
was that those who have not seen Jesus physically with their eyes, the resurrected Christ in his glorified body, those who haven't seen him and yet still believe, they're blessed. So what does it mean to be blessed? Well, the Greek word is makarios, not, not makarina. No one's going to be doing any kind of dancing here, though. It kind of has the same. So makarios means happy or glad or um, someone who's given divine favor. And so one of the things that we know from this verse is that what Jesus is saying, one of the blessings is, is that you don't have to see Jesus in person in order to place your faith in him, to, to believe who he is and what he did for you. In fact... We're going to see a verse here in a second, but in fact, it's a greater demonstration to believe in who Christ is and what he's done for us without seeing him. Now, why is that important? Because the Bible tells us that it's faith that pleases God. If you want to know how to please God, if you want to be right with God, if you want to know, hey, we're good, God and I are good, then you need to demonstrate faith. And it says this in Hebrews eleven six. Now, again, just an invite for the guys. Thursday night, 7 o'clock here in this room, we're going through the book of Hebrews. So this has been kind of on my mind. Uh, we've got Greg and um, Clark are teaching and doing a great job. But he says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, now, now coming to God, that Greek has this idea of a relationship with God. Okay, Whoever wants to come into God's presence to, to be in a relationship with him must believe and Again, the Bible, when it says believe, it means putting your full weight of trust. You all walked in here and put your full weight of trust on these chairs. Okay, what you're doing is you're putting your full weight of trust on God. All right? And so what are you going to trust? Well, you're going to trust, first of all, that He is. In other words, that means He eternally exists, that He is, in fact, God, the one who's always existed, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, initially, he's talking about salvation, to have that relationship established with God. But then there's also blessings that come from that. There's things that happen in our lives because we have a relationship with God. And so he's, he's talking about that. But he says, faith is what pleases God. So there's a lot of people who live by faith. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a person of faith. I'm a person. So what does he mean by faith? He defines it in verse 1 of that same chapter. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so again, we're talking about God here. And so what he's saying here is that biblical faith, or the Bible sometimes talks about hope, or we talk about um, belief or trust. It, It basically all points to this, that we are convinced that something God says is true based on who he is, his, his character and his attributes. And so we see God as a God who's infinitely powerful. He, he's infinitely knowledgeable. Uh, he knows all things, in other words, and he's all powerful. We know that he's immense. I love that word. And it means that he is everywhere at one time. That he operates outside of time. So he is as much as in the past as he is in the future, as much as he is today. He is everywhere at one time, not just geographically, but in time. In other words, he's next week already. When we're all nervous about what's going to happen tomorrow, he's there already. Again, it blows your mind when you start understanding who God is. In fact, I'm putting together um, a series of homework. When I do counseling, I give homework. And 
And so I was reading in a book the other day about depression, anxiety, and that kind of stuff. And the person, the author was writing about the attributes of God and how it plays out in a person's life. I'm like, man, I got I to gotta get this involved in my, my counseling. Because here's the deal. If a person is depressed, if a person is anxious about stuff, they have fear. If a person's struggling in their marriage or struggling in their family relationships or other relationships, if a person's struggling at work, whatever the struggle is in their life, if we know who God is, if we know his character, that he's, he's good, and that he's just, and that he's holy, that he loves us, that he's patient, like long-sufferingly patient, that he's slow to anger, that he doesn't hate us, he loves us, he cares about us, he wants to help us. Yeah, he, he'll discipline us if we sin, but he's a good father, so he does that kind of stuff. Man, if we knew that, if we lived our life based off of that, we would, we would change the way we do life. We'd change the way we see life. That was all free, by the way. It wasn't in my nose. Getting back to my nose, the, the fact of the matter is we, we are convinced that what God says is true based on his character and his attributes first about salvation. Well, what does God say about salvation? There's a lot of thoughts out there. People have a lot of opinions about what it means to be saved, what it means to be right with God. But we've got to go with what God says. God says in the Bible, and I'm kind of summarizing it, is that we're sinners, and because we're sinners, God has to judge sin because he's holy and righteous, and he's a good judge. But that God the Son put on flesh, became human, so that he could live a perfect life and then die in our place. Take our, and this is how God has designed it. And so if we believe this, and we're convinced because he's a good and loving God that he did this for us, then we simply ask him, will you forgive me of my sin? And I'm trusting that Jesus died on the cross for me. And at that moment, the Bible tells us that he'll forgive us of our sin. God the Holy Spirit comes in and washes out that sin, gives us spiritual life because Jesus rose from the dead. We have him in our life for this part of our life. And then he takes us to eternity with him in heaven. Faith in God and what he says about salvation first and foremost. And secondly, once you're in that relationship, what he says about how to do life. Because how God says to do life is completely different than how we think we should do life. And the way we do life is how we screw up our lives. But God says in his, that doing life his way brings life and peace. It, it grows. It, it's a, a positive, good thing that happens in our life. When we do life our way, we destroy our lives. And so whether, whether you're a, a Christian think you're a Christian, whether you're just a spiritual person, you're kind of a more of a mystic, a, a person who sees spiritual things and, and things that happen in life, like butterflies flying at a certain point, or, or and, you know, I've had people tell me a bunch of different things about how they know God's speaking to them because they've seen certain things, you know, again, so if you're a spiritual person, or if you're an agnostic, a person, well, you know, you really can't know. You can't really know anything. And so you're living your life there, or maybe you're just a you know, straight out atheist. You're like, there is no God. You know, evolution, if there is a God, it's evolution. It created us. The deal is we all live by faith. You all drove here today. You showed incredible faith because the people driving at you are texting while they're driving. I know you guys aren't, right? Please tell me. I mean, I drive down these side roads and I'm just minding my own business. I look up and there's somebody crossing the line. And then when they get next to me, they're like this. That shows incredible faith on my part because I'm trusting that person with my life. Or we go to restaurants. 
Have you ever gone to the back where they're cooking your food? Have you ever checked to make sure there's no dead rats back there and there's no mold back there? I mean, we see the TV shows, right? That's the kind of thing. Well, no, we go in there, order what we want. We don't know if the people are going to poison us, give us food poisoning. I've heard of people getting food poisoning at restaurants. I've never been poisoned. My wife has poisoned me. <laughs> it was, it was, if you've had food poisoning, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I was, for a week, I was vomiting. She gave me some chocolate that she had opened, and then she, she wasn't thinking. We were nearly, newlyweds. It was first year of marriage, and so she was in heavenly bliss being married to me. And uh, so she put it in the, in the counter in our apartment that had no air conditioning throughout the entire summer. We're from Chicago, so it's kind of like here. It gets kind of hot and humid. So in the fall, football season, and uh, so I'm sitting there, and she's, hey, I made some chocolate chip cookies. You want that with some ice cream and some chocolate syrup? Yeah! I eat it, and I, we go to church. There was an evening service at the church we went to, so I went to the church. I'm sitting there in the middle of church. I'm like, we got to go. But I'm not feeling good. We got home just in time, and it's... Anyways, we trust our mechanics. We take our mechanics. You know, we, we don't know. Are they messing with our car? They fix it, and then they mess with something else. We trust our doctors. They call it practicing medicine. But we trust them to tell, hey, do this. Oh, sure, okay. You know, we trust the CDC. <laughs> Sorry, I won't bring that back up. Yeah. <laughs> moving on, moving on. The point is, boy, all of us have adopted a philosophy of life by how we're going to live life. It's not unique to us. We've borrowed it from some other, somebody else. There's nothing new under the sun. But we have this philosophy of life that... And again, it's all different, but not unique. And we just said, well, this is how we need to get through life. This is how I need the decisions I need to make in life. This is how I respond to the circumstances I face in life. We have this faith that how we're going to do life is the best way of doing life. It's the most effective way of doing life. Connected with that, then, is is the philosophy we have, a faith that we have about what's going to happen when we die. And I've talked to a lot of different people, just like you guys have. And, And some people are just like, well, when you die, you're gone. You go in the ground. The worms eat you, and you're just back into the whole evolutionary process. You have some people who just kind of will say that. You have other people who's be like, you know, here's what, there might be a heaven, there might be a hell, but I'm telling you, if I'm not going to heaven, I'm going to hell. I want to party with my friends. That's where we're all going, and I'm going to go hang with them and party. I remember as a kid, I, growing up, I heard some people say, yeah, people will say that. I'm like, yeah, there's no way somebody, then I got older and started asking people, hey, where are you going to spend a eternity, and they would tell me that. It's like, wow, people actually believe that. You know, I don't want to go to heaven. There's, a, you know, clouds and strumming harps. You know, I don't want to do that. You know, okay, well, it's not what heaven is, but whatever. Or you have some other people just a little more spiritual, and they'll be like, well, I know God's a God of love, and so as a God, he'll let everybody in. Well, maybe some not, you know, not Hitler, but, you know, some, uh, certainly me, he'll let me in. He's a loving God. But here's the deal. If you were to sit those people down and they were to be honest with you and you were to ask them, you know, seriously, where would you spend eternity when you die? Every one of those people, if they're honest, will say, well, you know, actually, I'm not really sure. I, I, I think I am. Maybe I talked to a guy uh, yesterday after the service and he's like, well, because I asked him, hey, where would you spend eternity when you die? And he's like, um, now, I'm not going to ask everybody that question when I'm talking to him. He asked me, so we got into the conversation and just want everybody to know. I don't want to talk to him. He'll ask me that question. 
Um, but I asked that, and he says, well, I, I hope I go upstairs. So I'm like, upstairs. Oh, you mean heaven. Okay, because I'm thinking this is like no basement here, no second story. I had a kid last week, they were visiting. He said, does this church have a second story? No, does it matter? <laughs> it's just a weird, like a nine-year-old kid asking if it had a second story. I don't know why. Anyways, that's off track again. The point is, as, as Christians, there's this blessing that comes. Because we've placed our faith in God. There's the fact that God says that we're saved because of what Jesus Christ did. There's this blessing that comes that we have this confidence about where we're going to go when we die. Not because of who we are. Not because we're some, you know, super spiritual people and God's like, I got to have them on my team. No, actually it's the complete opposite. It's because we're such horrible sinners that we need God to forgive us and we understand that and we ask him to forgive us. But then God tells us and we know that God's a good God that when he says, hey, listen, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to take you to heaven one day, we have confidence in this incredible God who's willing to die for us to take us to heaven. Which is why what Jesus had to say matters. Because Jesus is the one who makes us right with God. Our rightness with God isn't based on what we do. It can't be. It's based on what Jesus has already done. Now, you may not be able to see um, Jesus today, and that's why John writes what he says here in these last two verses. He says, Therefore, because of many who won't see Jesus personally, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in his book. So he's talking about everything that Jesus did up to this point. He, he, he's done a bunch of stuff. And he says this, but these, the ones that John has actually put into his gospel, have been written, why? So that you may believe. You put your full weight of trust on the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God, meaning he's God. And that believing, putting your full weight of trust on him, you may have life. And he's talking about spiritual, eternal life in him. And so whether you see Jesus today, or not. If you, actually, if you see Jesus today, we need to have a conversation. But it, we don't see Jesus. But John's saying, listen, I have. I've walked with him. I've seen everything he's done. I've only put down a few things that he's done. And everything I put down, it was enough for you to be able to grasp and understand that Jesus is God, that Jesus is your Savior. So why does it have to be him? Why does it have to be Jesus that is the one who makes us right with him? Well, the first reason is because we are not right with him. We're already in a position where we're not right with him because we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Sin is disobeying God. Sin is breaking his laws. That's all that is. And we've all done it. Some have done it a little. Some have done it a lot. I had to make sure I don't go little and a lot because somebody in one of the other services says, why do you point at me every time you say a lot? You know, but no, I wasn't convicted. Anyways, but yeah, it's, they've all sinned. We've fallen short of his glory. We, we're not perfect. That's what God's glory means here, is that His perfection. None of us are perfect. All the bad things that we've done brings bad news, which really brings up in chapter 6. It says, For the wages of sin is death, spiritual death and hell. But the free gift of God, the free gift, it's a gift. It's not something you can pay for. If I give you a gift, I don't want you giving me money back. If I give you a gift, I want you to come in my house and wash my car. I want you to do it on your own time. Don't, don't do it because of the gift. Come and wash my car, wax it, you know, however you want to do it. But not just because I've given you a gift, it's free. 
And that gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's something that He gives us through Christ. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Gospel means good news. I'm going to let God continue to kind of give us an understanding here. So our faith is in Christ. And this is the good news. It says, for in it, and verse 16 is talking about the gospel message, which is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live, have spiritual life by faith. Do you want to be righteous? Do you want to, do you want to have spiritual life? It has to come through faith and faith in who God is and, and what He's done and what He says about what salvation is. We need somebody outside of ourselves who's powerful enough to take away our sin because we can't do it. If we think being good is what gets rid of our sins, we get enough good will outweigh our sins. Listen, if you're being good to other people, if you're being a good person and your motivation is because you want to go to heaven, you're motivated by selfishness. Selfishness is sin. So it's just a logical argument for why we can't get rid of our own sin because we operate in sin. Only God, this infinitely powerful God, can come in and clean out our sin. It says in chapter 4, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, in other words, doesn't try to work for their salvation, but believes, there's that word again, in him, God, who justifies or declares not guilty the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. This is a credible spiritual concept that blows our mind. But when Jesus died on the cross, and we say he did that for us, we ask him to forgive us. God takes our sin and he places it on Jesus. That wrath that was put on Jesus was God's wrath for us. And then once he does that, he rose from the dead. And then he takes that righteous life and he gives it to us. Not that we're perfect, but when God sees us, he sees us through the eyes of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is given to us. And this last one, therefore, having been justified, declared not guilty by faith in who God is and what he says salvation is, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. We can have, we can be right with God. Where before we were enemies, we are now his children and there's peace that he's given to us. Jesus said, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe he's talking to you and me today. So the question for us is, would you allow God to bless you today? Would you allow God to bless you with giving you, putting between you and Him peace, to, to reconcile that relationship, to restore that relationship, to give you the confidence that when you die, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. But not just that, that today, here and now, from this day forward until you die, He's going to be in your life. He's going to be providing for you. He's going to be protecting you. He's going to be fighting for you. That's what all the Bible tells us about who God is. That He's willing to do that. You can express that to Him today. We call it prayer, but it's just conversation with God. Prayer is not some weird, I'm not going to have you do some sort of weird dance or walking on your hands or whatever. It's just you having a conversation with God. Your heart to his heart. So here's what I'd like to do as we close out. Just have everybody close their eyes. and No one looking around. You'll hear some moving, but it's just the band working their way up to the uh, platform. But just everyone close their eyes. And 
what we do from time to time is uh, some people, man, I, I, I need to do that. I need to know that I'm right with God. And so what I do is I kind of, I just lead in a prayer that you can pray your heart to God's heart. All right, so the prayer doesn't save you. I'm not saving you. Don't trust me. Trust what God says. And it's just, you, you have this conversation with God and you say some things that I'm going to say because, again, just kind of helping you along. And if you do that, I just want to ask you to do something else. And, and that is, if you pray this prayer, just grab the Connect card. You can even do it now when no one's looking around. And, you know, just grab it. And then just mark on the blue side that you trusted in Christ today for your salvation. If you want to put your name on it, then I'll be sure to send you some information to help you kind of continue on in that relationship. Um, but that you would do that. Let me, let me go ahead and just pray this prayer. Again, your heart to God's heart genuinely meets us. Maybe in the past you've prayed something along these lines, but you're just like, eh, I'm not really sure I even meant it. But here today, I'm going to mean it. I want to make sure that I'm right with God. Just pray something along these lines. Your heart to God's heart. This God... I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I'm separated from you. And if I were to die, I would spend eternity in hell. But I also know and I believe I'm putting my full weight of trust on you that Jesus died for me and that he rose to give me life, spiritual life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone, for my salvation. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, open your eyes. If you prayed that prayer, like I said, I, I would love to know about it. You can grab me in the lobby if you want. Just bump whoever I'm talking to out of the way and let me know, hey, I prayed that prayer. Or just grab that Connect card. Right down on the back side of your head, I pray to accept Christ. We'd just love to know that people have made that connection. Again, if you put your name on it, I'll be sure to send you just some information, just some of the stuff that we've talked about this morning to kind of help you get going in that relationship. And, of course, we'd love to have you uh, come back uh, next week as well and connect in with our church family. We're going to go ahead and stand and uh, close out with the band.